Hi everyone, welcome back to the OOH podcast. We're on episode four today, and today we're joined by none other than Phil Aldershaw, co-founder of Birmingham Pride, um, an events organiser. We have you down as a a former TV presenter and host of TV and radio, uh, a massive in the game of fundraising for different charities, To be honest with you, Phil, there's not a lot that you don't do from looking at your bio. But the first thing that we wanted to get a touch on, if possible, was um, Birmingham Pride, if if that's okay with yourself. Yeah, good. And Uh, you said OOH. I was thinking, ooh. (laughs) Every guest ends up saying it. But um, no, first and foremost, before we get into that, how how are you today? You well? I'm brilliant, thank you. Yeah. Yeah, thank you for having me in your beautiful offices these thank are great aren't they absolutely. and thank you for letting me bring young dylan over yeah. with us as for well the, for we'll the let viewers. him make an appearance in a minute wherever he's gone yeah he's probably doing a poop under the uh, table <laughs> or something dylan is not a person <laughs> <laughs> dylan is definitely a dog he's, a jack- he's my lovely jackawawa who's just celebrated his second birthday oh. uh, i mean had a birthday party for him at the <laughs> At the apartment, yeah. I like what you did. There's a little pun there, isn't yeah, there? And we played past the portal. <laughs> right then. So, um, looking at the bio and the things that you've done, one thing that stuck out to me very, very quickly was you clearly fill your time well. You you have done a, a, an incredible amount of things in your past. And currently, one thing, and we will touch on Pride, of course, the first question but how do you go about doing it? Because when I was reading through that list, we both looked at each other and was like, wow, is there any methodology there or is there anything that you can put towards being so busy and being involved in different things? How lovely of you to say. And I suppose you don't really think about it. You just do it. I suppose it benefits that I live in the city centre. I live just opposite the town hall. Mm -hmm. So I'm always on hand in the city. And I think I learned a lot from the Wizard of Oz when I was younger. Um, Just thinking about those red heeled shoes you know and you just clip them together and off you go and that's what I yeah. tend to do I'm like put on the shirt put on the trousers put on the uh, well everything else that goes with it and my <laughs> shoes and off I go in a different direction uh, and I just love to work on different things I've got quite a short attention span actually so I'm really good on the creative side and interacting and doing things for people but if a project is too long I can sometimes drift Mm -hmm. but I like to help as many people as possible and of course I'm incredibly passionate about Birmingham and life and I think we, this isn't a rehearsal. No, no. We only yeah. get one opportunity to live well. in this body and we've got to go for it and make the best. Yeah. Wow, I love that. And, and to be fair to you, Phil, I mean, I've known of you and seen you about in Birmingham for many years now and we had a similar conversation with Jess, which was the guest before, about being a bit, she's a yes person, you know, the film with Jim Carrey and she just, whatever it is, yep, I'll, I'll have a go. Yes. And I feel like you're... That that mentality as well. Just yes, I'm game. It, it sometimes gets you into trouble because I quickly <laughs> said, said yes a few months ago about doing a parachute jump, and I've always <laughs> said no, and I'm not too sure. I think I've been saying more yeses in recent times, and the next thing I found myself jumping out of a plane at ten and a half thousand feet to raise money for one of the charities that I support, Acorns. Was you was you going there and going no? No, it was amazing. When they gave me the video afterwards and and when we landed on terra firma, um, 
Everybody that had been on the plane said, you are unreal. We've never seen anybody that's had a smile from the moment you arrived here. Like when we're on the plane, when the doors open, we dropped somebody off at 4,000 feet in the air, which is not a usual thing that you do when you're on a plane. Uh, and then we carried on up to, to 10,500 feet. Um, but I, I just had this beaming smile. If anybody ever sees the, the video of me doing this parachute jump, I'm just in my element. And I remember thinking beforehand, I thought, life is about experiences and we've got to go for it and if this is the end of mine now then it was meant to be so just enjoy the moment so that's where I was I love that and you know what you can hear the energy in the way that you're saying it like was there, so there's not an element of fear there it's a case of I'm going for this exactly yeah. I like that that's the best way to live I think um, if we could, can I just tell you something if yeah. for anybody who, who's never done a parachute jump you think you know what you're going to expect no that moment of free fall when you know you've come out of the plane and there's no stopping you is quick and it really is quick you drop thousands of feet within seconds and there's no experience like it it's very difficult to describe yeah, yeah I, I don't know if you're selling it to me i've done absolutely <laughs> wet myself <laughs> would you do it again uh i wouldn't be in a rush to do it again i wouldn't say i wouldn't do it again but i've done it um, uh, and there was something about when we pull the cords and we spin round in a circle. It's a bit. It is a bit like being on the waltzers, mm. and you get a little bit of vertigo. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I wouldn't say no. Something to say that you've ticked off the list, anyway. It's pretty cool. Bit, bit of Justin Bieber. Never say never. <laughs> <laughs> Always quote Bieber. That's my matter. And um, just to take it back, if we can, for the viewers, um, you were a co-founder of Birmingham Pride. Is that correct? Oh yes. Uh, we'd love to hear a little bit about how that come about, how that was born, and um, the you know the the ins and outs of it. If you, if you're happy to talk on that. Uh, oh gosh, definitely. Well, we're just coming up to celebrating 25 years of Pride. Um, it would have been 26 years of Pride, but thanks to the good old COVID, uh, we lost a year where it didn't take place at all. Uh, theoretically, I'm not involved, haven't been involved in Pride uh, for many years. Uh, Bill Gavin and I uh, set up Birmingham Pride in 1997, um, all those years ago. Uh, and back then, we wanted to do it as a celebration, as a street party. So I had a big club called the Nightingale Club. Oh. Which An I iconic was, club in Birmingham, I, by the back, way. Particularly it's back incredible. in its day. Yeah, well, it's, uh, if anyone that's from Birmingham that doesn't know about it, I'd be like, give your head a yeah, bubble, they, come on. <laughs> yeah, you do. <laughs> and if you, yeah, I think it should be well known throughout the whole of the UK. I'd be surprised if... Yeah, the fact that it's still going is an incredible thing. Uh, obviously, it's had a change. It used to be a members-owned club. Mm -hmm. um, we all owned a share of it. Uh, that went bump in 2011, and then it was um, leased privately um, by a family uh, who have kept it going and, you know, do, do great work there. And it's very different to how it once was, but uh, it's going well. So was that involved in the, um, in the findings of Birmingham Pride or no? Yeah, uh, so, so the fact that I was operations director of the Nightingale, we just moved to, so we sold the old premises to the Hippodrome Theatre, where they now built the Dance Exchange on Thorpe Street, and we moved into an electrical warehouse called Rich and Patterson, uh, and we developed the Nightingale Club there. Uh, the rest of the gay community was developing around that south side area in the lower part of Her Street. So uh, Bill Gabin, who had a, a competition nightclub called Subway City uh, on the other side of town, we got together, we were sat in my restaurant one day, um, 
and we were just chatting and we said, oh, imagine having a big party out here in the streets. And Bill was like, surely we can get these streets. I was going to do a Scottish accent. Surely we can get these streets. <laughs> I'm not very good at accents. Closed off. Um, and I said, actually, I probably could. We've got some contacts at the council. Maybe we could do a bit of a, a street party. Uh, and then we went, yeah, actually, maybe we could. Do you think many people would come to it? So this idea started from us having coffee in, in the restaurant of the Nightingale. And um, we subsequently... My dog drinking your, my dog <laughs> is been, drinking your water. He's been tuning in for about five minutes and he's been cracking me up. I couldn't say anything. You're thirsty, Dylan. Um, yeah, so 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 some, some sure he's past wind as well, to be honest. Uh, uh, yeah, so so this idea was born from us having a coffee in the Nightingale restaurant. So then we we spoke to a few other people. I had a PR marketing manager at the time that worked for me, Upton Clue, uh, and he came on board with it. And we got a few other people. And we then we got a meeting together with the, the local community, the, the the venues, and they said, "Yeah, what a great idea." So basically, Bill and I then led the way to organize this um back then the council the police any of the authorities they didn't want it really? they didn't want it they closed doors in our faces pretty much and we said we want to do this this carnival in the city and basically celebrate life um and a lot of people think it was political from the start it wasn't we did it as a, as a party to celebrate life but to be ourselves yeah mm -hmm. you know and whether you came from as we called it then the gay community what we now call the lgbtqia plus endless continuance uh community um and it was just an opportunity for us to be ourselves to bring our family and friends out to show that we can we can just you know enjoy life and and that's what we like to do yeah. so that's how birmingham pride was was born and now i mean do you know how many people go attend every year now um, it's huge isn't it yeah i i think the last figures i i saw were maybe something like 70 to eighty thousand. i know in the early noughties so literally uh, in fact let's let's take it back a mm -hmm. step the very first year uh, we we done all the marketing around it. We got the local magazine Midlands Own on board, and we started to promoting it. We needed to raise money, so we started doing fundraising events. It was a significant change for the Nightingale because before the time when licensing changed, uh, we thought, how are we going to raise extra money? We can do tin shakes on the door, bucket shakes on the on the different doors of the venues, and we tried to get venues to pledge. But how do you really raise money? So one of the things the Nightingale done, I decided that. Back in those days, you had to go to court to get your licenses. If you wanted an extension for anything or anything to do with the change of license, you had to go to court and see these magistrates and you had your lawyer there and so on. So uh, I started putting in for these late night charity extensions, which meant instead of closing at 12 o'clock, uh, two o'clock in the morning, we could do an extension till 4 a.m. in the morning or 6 a.m. We started off with 4 a.m. because yeah. we didn't want to push it too much. Uh, so I remember going to, to court and we had a great lawyer called Tony Curtis, as in the movie star, but it wasn't him, sadly. Yeah. Um, and we put in for this license application. I remember being grilled upon the court. You have to go and take the stand. And they were like, Mr. Aldershaw, yes, why are you looking to go on so late? Uh, and I was like, well, obviously we're, we're a members club because we were still a members club at that point. Yeah. We're a members club and we want to fund um, this amazing event and we're going to give 20% of our bar takings to charity. Okay. Uh, and they said, 
Hmm, yes, we, we like that idea. Okay, we're going to be keeping an eye on you, but yes, you carry on with that. So that's how the late night extensions started. And that actually changed. That was revolutionary for yeah. the Nightingale yeah. because not only did we fund Birmingham Pride, but I was able to fund so many other charities based on those uh, extensions. But what I also thought is we need to utilise this. So when we raise the money, and it would be you know 2000 or 4000 or 6000 pen from an extra night's hours um i thought right when we get a celebrity here because the nightingale used to have all the big celebrities um i'm going to get them to do the check presentation from the last event that we did and then we'll get the pictures done and we'll get them out to the local press and things mm -hmm. so after this had been going on for a while i would go into court and i remember one day going into court this is one of the best stories and i went to court and the court was packed there were so many people applying for licenses and the magistrates didn't look in a good mood and they were like no no, everybody that went up, such as, no, no. Uh, have you done your research? No, no, I don't think that's organised. And then it came to me, the Nightingale, which was quite late down the list. We was an N, so we were later down the, the alphabetical mm -hmm. list. And my solicitor got up and he says, oh, God, Mr. Aldershaw. Oh, yes, the Nightingale Club. Um, so as I was walking towards it, went, oh, yes. And as I was walking towards to get into the dock, uh, the one magistrate in the middle, he looked at me, he went, oh, he says, you recently done that check presentation with that, that pretty girl from the TV show, the one who's got the songs in the chat. I went, Holly Valance, Your Honour. He went, yes, I saw the check, present, uh, the check presentation that you did. He says, absolutely fantastic. Granted, never even asked me a question. And everybody in the court just turned, turned around and looked at me and I was like, Thank you. <laughs> and literally, we just got like another six extensions for other oh, events. Brilliant. That's so good. Yeah. So, so then we used to use that money. Going back to the pride thing, we used to use that money. So the Nightingale used to be the biggest contributor to Birmingham Pride. And we were the largest venue, so it was understandable. And everybody else used to try and put in. So back then, I think the first one cost us, I think we raised about £60,000 to put it on. And we expected, we don't know what we expected. We, we was hoping that we'd get maybe two or 3,000 people turn up and we'd have a street party. The first one, we had 15,000 people turn up. And we had outdoor bars and stages and different things, but 15,000 people. people. And, and I what remember year was this? Uh, 1997. Wow. So if you think we came up with the idea in 96, yeah. we launched it for the May of 97. And That's this is, impressive. you know, this isn't everyone going onto Facebook going, yeah, you can have a call. I'm going to oh, be no. there. I'm going to be there. This, this is... was through magazines. No, Facebook, just the... marketing yeah. through yeah, magazines what, and what the newspaper. Um, the the TV, but the TV, I don't think gave us the best coverage. Did you doing TV back advertising? Back no, then? no, that the, the, oh, as the, in the news, the news, the sorry. news. They didn't give us the best coverage. Nobody wanted it. It was too modern for the city at, yeah. at that point. Um, and I remember Bill and I standing there in the middle of the street in the peak of the afternoon. The sun was shining. It was a gorgeous day. It was perfect mm -hmm. weather for the weekend. Uh, and I looked at Bill and I went, "What have we created?" here because then of course Birmingham Pride yeah. was born um, and then literally by the time we got to the year 2000 so that's what, it's 97, 98, 99 it's four years down mm -hmm. the line isn't mm -hmm. it uh, we'd built it up to almost 100,000 people Wow! the growth was phenomenal on it that's crazy I think you really caught my attention. Well, I went to uni in Southampton, and when I came back, I had my own magazine. But there was another magazine that was in competition with me, who I absolutely loved, and that was Andrew Riley's magazine, 69 Magazine, was that what it's called? Oh, my God, I forgot Kev it. Kevin Urquhart's magazine, no, 69 Magazine. The, the, 
and Style Magazine was Andrew's. Style was Andrew's, so I forgot, yes. he's going to kill me. <laughs> <gasps> he's going to absolutely kill me. He's Sorry. got it all online these days. Yeah, yeah, and he's smashing it. I love him to bits. But it, they really pushed your events. Like, they, it, it was like the talk of the town in Birmingham. And did you do CDs on the magazine once, or was there something like that? So, I feel like the one of the events that was we, a CD. We did. So, so the Nightingale, being as revolutionary as we was, and we'd always like to reinvent ourselves, I did a, a, a big rebrand for the Nightingale in 2001, and we changed the logo to the Saints and Sinners logo, the Devil and Angel. There's good and bad in all of us. We can all be a little bit naughty, and we can all also be good. So that was my whole concept around changing that. Um, and we had a big, I spent a million pound refurbing the club. We put the balconies yeah. on there, redone everything. Um, and it was amazing. And we had, we had the, that night we had the streets closed off. We had a great big laser show, firework display. We had loads wow. of celebrities yeah. come along for, for, for the launch. But yeah, we, we, we started doing as part of, but not just for Pride, we've done it for other occasions as well, but particularly for Pride, we would do specially recorded CDs, because yeah. of course CDs were the thing. That was it, then. and they were stuck on the magazine, so you go into all the hot spots in Birmingham, so whether it be, you know, cafes or hair salons, and you'd have these um, magazines with the CDs on, and I was like, yes, that's cool, I like that. And yeah. then you'd give them out to, like, hairdressers, wouldn't you, and then, like, they'd You'd find them in hairdressers and yeah, yeah. So, so, so we'd give we'd give them out in the shops in town, and we would also give them out in in the business itself if people yeah. came to the club. How much do you attribute the success to the rebranding that you did, and was that just a thought that came into your head, or have you always had a strong passion behind strong branding with the club and? Yeah, uh, yeah. Good question. The, the the success of the Nightingale very much was it all it, it been a successful business. When I first took over the Nightingale, I was the youngest general manager of a nightclub in the city. I took over at the age of twenty three, mm-hmm. and uh, as I said, it was on Thorpe Street then, and it was a small, successful back street club um, that had amazing energy um, and, and, and a great setup. Uh, what are you doing, Dylan, over there? <laughs> had a great setup. But then we realised that the club wasn't big enough. And within the short amount of time that I was there, we'd built up the numbers and the club just wasn't big enough. We needed to relocate. So we relocated to this bigger venue that could hold 1,800 uh, people in there when we done the later expansion in 2001 we we pushed that up to uh it, it was about 2000 <laughs> sorry about that dylan it's dylan's having a moment uh, dylan and, wants to share his it, side of the story he, he, he does <laughs> you, you wasn't around then dylan Hold on. uh wait uh yeah t- to about 22 2200 people um but of course through the doors during the night you would have much more than that but yeah in relation to that whole new brand identity it was the way um i had a vision for the nightingale club and it was important for us to keep up with modern times and how the industry was changing and one of the key things i wanted to create the saints and sinners logo was a brand icon and brands are very much you know you look at all the big brands that are out there the nikes and so on they're all about having their icon and that's something that i wanted to create that we could put onto t-shirts and images and goods and all sorts of stuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we, we agree. Do you want to come up here? I'm just going to reach <laughs> yeah, down. Yeah, definitely. Um, so I guess... I guess anyone viewing this, and it, and it can almost sound cliche, but hearing you say that, that 
does kind of prove the point that anything can happen over a conversation in a sense of you and a friend got together to discuss an idea at a coffee shop yes and look at what that evolved to now uh, the reason i bring that up is because um you can often think that no that can't you know you often hear sayings as in like you you'd be surprised what you can come up with just over a conversation was did you ever imagine that it would reach the magnitude that it did when you were having them early conversations birmingham pride no no the thing is you just did things you just did things and, and and you know i think sometimes that's what you've got to do you haven't got to look too far in advance when you when you've got a vision for something you just say let's get it off the ground mm. let's get it started a bit like these podcasts yeah. you know you don't know where they're going to go but let's, let's just get just it off it. the ground let's let's get it started so that's exactly what we did who was to think that you know 25 26 years down the line Birmingham Pride, all right, we're 26 years down the line, 25th year, Birmingham Pride would still be here. It's a different, it's a different energy yeah. now because um, when we handed over Birmingham Pride, it was still a community event. Now it's a privately owned event, but they do support um, parts of the community mm -hmm. as well. Uh, so it's a slightly different setup, but it is still going strong. And Lawrence Barton, who's now the festival uh, chair for... Uh, Birmingham Pride has done a great job with all of his team that he's got on board to develop that mm -hmm. further and you know it, it, it's continued to be probably the biggest event in our city in fact it is yeah. the biggest event in our city on a consistent basis and if you think revenue stream what that brings in so when people travel they travel from all over the UK they travel from overseas I've spoken to people that have traveled from the, the States and Australia to come to Birmingham Pride and they've come to see Birmingham for the first time. So everything else that's going on in Birmingham is a big support and infrastructure to what's connected to Birmingham Pride. Mm. Birmingham Pride is just a, a small nutshell. That's the reason why they've come. But the rest of it, the hotels, the transport, the infrastructure, how our city looks, the people within the city, the multicultural side of it is just amazing. And all of those components yeah. have to come together to make our city the place to come and visit for a Pride event. And I'm really pleased um, to say that after all these years, Birmingham Pride is going strong. And it, it's also nice. I was out of it for, for quite a few years, but last year they invited me back to host on the main stage and it was like coming home. Yeah. It was lovely. And I was very grateful that they invited me back to come and host. And I was just with Lawrence the other day again, and they've asked me to come back and host Birmingham Pride. I'll be hosting the community uh, events on the Friday evening on the main stage and also uh, the Saturday yeah. as well. And there's also a radio station involved for, for the entertainment and things. So, you know, there's some big names yeah. this year as well. There's yeah. Steps, there's Melanie C, there's, there's all sorts there. It's really yeah. exciting. Great lineup, isn't it? that's exciting so I mean you're so pro Birmingham which is fantastic and Ben mentioned earlier that you was also involved in the Commonwealth yes yeah yes. yeah which I mean watching it from an outsider outsider's point of view in the run-up to Commonwealth I felt that maybe a lot of people in Birmingham wasn't really talking about it as much or getting behind it as much and maybe that was just the Birmingham people wow. going oh god yeah it's coming it's looming and what's it going to be like and then it happened and everyone's like 
bloody hell, (laughs) this is is brilliant. And it was such an amazing thing to kind of watch or for yourself probably be a part of as well. It was just great, wasn't it? Do do you know, sometimes in, in all walks of life, we can be our own biggest issue. Yes. You know, and I think Birmingham, we've got such amazing personalities and humour that we love to take the mick out of ourselves. We laugh at our own expense. Probably Uh, too much sometimes. Yeah. Maybe that's the thing. Birmingham people just constantly take the mick out of each other. Exactly. And I don't think we we took ourselves seriously enough, besides some of the key stakeholders. And I would relate to myself (laughs) as a stakeholder because... I'm a, I'm a constant driver for Birmingham and how great we are. But, um, yeah, a lot of general day-to-day people in the city, I don't think appreciated the, the, the scale of it, what it was going to do for Birmingham, the legacy of going on, how it was going to shine us to the world. And, of course, that beautiful heat wave that we had mm-hmm. all the way during the Commonwealth Games, those pictures, those images, those videos are going to be around for years and years to come. And what a great set of colourful images to show to the world from news archives. Just absolutely incredible. But, in yeah, in relation to that, uh, I, I just think... Once it started to happen, people engaged and saw it was happening. They saw the news coverage going out and realised how big and how positive it was for our city. And those people that often talk negatively about their own city can't help it because of the jokes and and so on or just haven't believed suddenly had a change. And I I experienced it happen, speaking to people, that they suddenly had this change and they... They would say, I didn't think it was going to happen, or I didn't think it would be like this, or I didn't think we'd get the glory out of it. Oh, my gosh, our city is amazing. And they were seeing their own city on TV and in the media in a completely different light. And that has got to be a winner all over for us. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And um, so was you hosting the Commonwealth Games? Do you know what? This year has been incredible for me for two key reasons. There's lots of amazing things happened this year, but two key reasons. I was invited to host the Queen's Platinum Jubilee here in Birmingham. So the four-day event that we had in Birmingham. Unfortunately, it turned into a three-day because the the fourth day, they thought it was going to get rained off. But Mm -hmm. the the three key days, and that was incredible to do. So to do my bit for the Queen on a 70th but 17th birthday? No. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> 17th yeah. year of rain. <laughs> you knew where I was going with that. Uh, and then to get asked to host the Birmingham 2022 Commonwealth Games. Uh, so I was hosting for Queen and Country this year. And I wasn't only doing it for my home city of Birmingham. I was doing it for Birmingham, the West Midlands, the UK and the Commonwealth. And it was going out to the whole of the world. A really proud moment for me, and I felt very privileged, very grateful, and momentously encouraged with excitement to just grasp the moment, connect with everybody, which I love to do anyway, and make it incredibly special for wherever people were travelling from, and athletes, to make sure they had the best experience Mm -hmm. while with us. So I loved it. 11 days. I was at the NEC, uh, uh, looking after the five halls over there, the NEC arena where the netball was on, and also the fan park outside. And I was interviewing athletes, interviewing families, interviewing people just coming along to to see the games, uh, interviewing... Oh, one of the most exciting things, besides the, the, the lovely athletes and things, were... Uh, the the volunteers over yeah. thirteen thousand volunteers and hearing 13, some of their yeah giving up their time free of charge 
Uh, it was an eye-opener for me. They were travelling from all over the UK, Scotland, Ireland, Wales, you know, Cornwall, where, yeah. wherever it may be, London. Uh, London, people, people coming out of London. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> for those that are listening to the audio. <laughs> Dylan, oh, Dylan, bless him. <laughs> It's got a bit of wind. <laughs> Gosh, that one caught me unaware. Thanks for that, Dylan. Uh, yeah, those travelling outside of London, of course, most people can't find their way outside of the M25 from London. And they were coming up to Birmingham. But the, the volunteers, they paid for their own travel. They paid for their own accommodation as well. All right, when they got to Birmingham, they could use their, their Commonwealth Pass to travel around from the digs and things they were staying in. But they paid for themselves. They'd, some had taken time off work, some were retired just to be involved in the Commonwealth Games, which was which was just mind-blowing for me. It was lovely, and they came with such passion each day and such energy yeah. and cheering us, and they wanted to make sure that the occasion was special for everybody that came each and every day. It, it was just fantastic. Yeah. So you think as Birmingham as a brand then, obviously this year we've really upped our game and put ourselves on a better pedestal probably. Yeah. Yeah, and I think going forward people of Birmingham probably need to, you know, get the chest out of it and say, yeah, I am from Birmingham, rather than being a bit like, oh, yeah, Birmingham. It's it's why. I don't see why people would be like that. They should be more... You're on, you're on the money. Yeah. And that's exactly... Anybody listening to this podcast, Bang spread the, spread the word, yeah. spread the energy. And, of course, you know, everything about... We, we, we're taught through quantum physics. Yeah. I sound clever. Uh, <laughs> that everything is vibrating. Everything is energy. The spiritual world have been saying that for years. Everything's about spirit and energy and vibration. But we're told everything's about energy. Our mm -hmm. energy introduces us before we even open our mouth. When we walk into a room, when we connect with somebody, people pick up on our energy mm -hmm. straight away. And Birmingham, we should be buzzing with that energy, following on from the Commonwealth, following on from all the billions of pounds of investment that's mm -hmm. coming into our beautiful city, from the great things that are being done. Because only by vibrating that positive energy do we then reflect that out onto others and yeah. we make Birmingham more of a bustling city because people want to be there. Yeah. It's a bit like, you know, if you shine a light brightly, everybody wants to come and be around you. You look at celebrities. People want to get next to celebrities because they see them as being this bright light of, of energy. So everybody wants to be around them and feel connected to them. Yeah. That's exactly how we need to all be about our city because the more we are like that, the more people want to visit and the more money is spent in our city. It creates jobs, it creates prosperity you know and and hopefully happiness yeah as well from the successes we share together yeah and so we I all need to big up room don't absolutely. we absolutely uh, and i think after the commonwealth games was finished there was a noticeable thing like like what you're saying that it did i think it raised people's oh, energy there was a buzz about the city center and surrounding areas and then when it finished i kind of felt like oh i wish that was on a bit longer, longer. which is only a good thing um of course this podcast you know, with the very title of it, the Out of Home Podcast. Ooh, podcast. Ooh, yeah. <laughs> we, we've covered a little bit of branding. Now, again, doing a bit of research, we found out that you were a come down with me 
not only a come down with me you contestant knew this was come up. Well, there is a very good reason I'll, we'll touch on that as well but so a come, a come down with me contestant but not only that you actually won but then even more fascinating to me and Jess was that you were on billboards after celebrating the victory now we were bowled away by this we, because we, yeah, we, love this. we were saying to each other like it's pretty cool isn't it and also we're not sure if that's ever been done before you must be the first come down with me winner that's been on a billboard right how excited i don't know you've got to be it's awesome so the first question i've got is how was that as an experience because when you watch the finished product it's amazing and the guy narrating it is funny as hell but Dave as, Lamb. as yeah. we know, the things behind the scenes, like, it would be cool to get a little insight of how it was being on the show and how the billboard thing came about. So as you mentioned, right at the start, I've, I've done television and I've done radio. Small beats, not like the, the big celebrities out there, but I've done bits and bobs. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I love to cook. I love to cook. So during lockdown, um, I've always been able to cook ever since I was young. When I was at school, my teacher wanted me to take it up professionally and go... Funny enough, she wanted to send me off to an oil rig to work, but she said, no, you get all the top training there. I think she was just trying to send me as far away as possible. So, <laughs> but, yeah, get to the oil rig. But no, I've, I've always been focused on, on cooking and whether it was baking and pastries and cakes and, uh, and all sorts, and I've always been very adventurous, uh, and I've loved it ever since. Mm-hmm. I also love dining out. That's a different story. I do lots of that. Um, but... Yeah, when lockdown happened, I suddenly found that I lost... So, so as you mentioned, I'm into events, so I organise events. I host events, awards, dinners, those sort of things. And I also do hospitality consultancy, so help businesses build from scratch, reinvest or troubleshoot. All of that work went during lockdown. It was unprecedented. There's that word, unprecedented. <laughs> we didn't know. But actually, all three of my industries, it completely decimated and I thought, right, okay. The first thing I learned to do was, you know the water compartment on your fridge? Mm-hmm. If you empty the water out of that, I found with my fridge I could get three bottles of Sauvignon Blanc <laughs> in there. <laughs> then you had constantly chilled wine. If anybody wants to try this at home, it's quite easy. Just empty the water and pour in wine. Um, <laughs> So I found this really helped with the first five weeks. Yes. Um, but also, I, I also realised that hospitality needed some help. So even though I wasn't making any money, I thought I need to support hospitality businesses. So I was reaching out and we set up a thing called Hope for Hospitality in Birmingham as well. So I'd done my bit to support those and also to try and support charities and raise profile for those that needed help. Uh, And then there was people like James Wong, Chung Ying and Mm -hmm. other restaurants that were doing food to send out to certain places. So to try and do my support with that. Uh, but then, obviously, there was still lots of time. There was a time when we were locked down completely and we're like, what can we do? So I started cooking at home. And I thought, if I'm bored and I've got nothing to do and everybody's locked down, there must be loads of others. So a bit like you, a bit of a smaller ring than that one. <laughs> I set up my phone and a, and a light and I started filming cooking in the kitchen. Uh, so morning, noon and night, oh, wow. uh, I was cooking stuff. Yeah, You know, whether it be duck, whether it be salmon, whether it be something that I've thrown together from the fridge in the morning. Um, And I've got this really great skill set of being able to go into anybody's fridge and cupboard. And you know when you go around somebody's and they say, oh, I've got nothing in. And you're like, 
you have, you've, yeah, and you can turn out this great dish. I'm one of those people. I can go into anybody's wow. cupboard and I can turn it into something pretty magical. Um, so su- subsequently, What's Dylan uh, doing? yeah, he's, he's climbing up the window. Oh. Uh, sub- <laughs> subsequently, I uh, started cooking, uh, and people were just tuning in. Uh, and I had a young girl working with me uh, who was editing it and was putting it out on Instagram, and some went on YouTube, and uh, mainly it was going out on on Facebook. And thousands of people were tuning into it. Um, anyway, long story short, we, we went through COVID and whatever. Coming out the other side of COVID, so this was last year. Wasn't, mm. What year was that? 2021. We lose track of the dates, haven't <laughs> yeah. we? Uh, coming out the other side, I um, got tagged into a post that said, come dine with me, it's in your area. And I thought, are they taking the pee? <laughs> <laughs> and then I got tagged again, and I got tagged again. And in the end, it must have been about 30 or 40 tags into this post, come dine with me. So I thought, oh, maybe they're being serious. <laughs> so I clicked on the link, up it opened, come dine with me, he's coming to the Midlands, Birmingham, I think they said, but it was more Mid- Midlands. Um, Would you be the next contestant for come dine with me? Could do you want to win a thousand pounds? And I thought... Oh, I'll just have a look what the form is. So I clicked another button and up popped this form. And I thought, oh, it's not very big, is it? I'm, I'm here now, all right? I'll, I'll fill it in. I'd never thought about it before, considering how many times I'd seen the show. Mm-hmm. Normally, late at night, repeats, something like that. Uh, so I, yeah, filled, filled in the form, uh, put this paragraph in, a bit of a synopsis of, of what I've done, what I've done for charity, um, just different things. And then literally within 36 hours, this person phoned me and said, hello, it's Jess from Come Dine With Me. I was like, oh, hello. (laughs) Wasn't expecting you to call. And she went, oh my God, how was you not expecting me to call with what you wrote on your application? I said, what did I write? And she went, all the things that you've done, you're amazing. We want to speak to you further. And it sort of grew from there. So from what I did during lockdown to support people and give them something to tune into and be entertained for, suddenly turned into me being on Come down with me. And how then did that roll into you being on digital billboards around Birmingham? (laughs) (laughs) Which I've got to say, I love that idea because sometimes you got to celebrate these things. And come down with me is a big show. So, well, how did that? Where where did that come into the mix? Well, all all a bit confusing, really, because the lovely company of LNX said said you've done so much for Birmingham and you've really helped everybody during lockdown and we've watched what you've been doing we want to support you with come dine with me and we think you deserve this and actually went ahead and done all of this stuff and uh, yeah and somebody phoned me and said there's a picture of you in in the in the ball ring (laughs) love that i said what do you mean they went you well you you're up on the big screen in the ball ring (laughs) and i went what so so i went to the ball ring and there's this great big six meter wide screen and i'm told it was all over the city and i I arrive at the ball ring and, and I'm there and I'm watching and I'm watching and the next thing up comes this advert supporting me telling people to watch me on come okay. dine with me obviously you know uh, when, when you do things for others there's that mm. thing about paying it forward mm. you never think about what people are going to do in return for it you always think about what you can do to support and help others and that's what I did during lockdown it helped me it helped my sanity a little mm. bit but it also gave me the opportunity to support others and mm. give them something to tune into 
but you don't think that people you'd never think that people are noticing it to do then do something for you so for lnx to then turn around and say we've done this for you because what you've done for others was in fact even when i think about it now it's 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 very moving it's a really touching thing to do which, which for me just shows you know, if I turn that around, a company like LNX to be able to think that about people yeah. is just really heartfelt. It says a lot about the people in the company, of doesn't course. it? Yeah. Well, winners win. Congratulations. Yeah. <laughs> 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 just quickly, uh, because, of course, a large percentage of people will watch Come Down With Me, like myself, and always wonder, how is the how do the evenings actually go? Are they, of course, they're never going to be as smooth as the finished product, but is there a lot of stopping and starting and, oh, can we just shoot this again? Or is it pretty much a rolling camera and they do the rest behind the scenes? It's television. I, I think I was the oldest. I was the oldest one of our table of, of five. So I think for the younger people that were there, respectfully, um, they didn't know what to expect. I've done some stuff in television, so I knew there was going to be stops and starts and stops and starts. Um, it's not scripted, so I've seen some some negative press about it being scripted and people are told what to say. That's not true yeah. at all. When you do your initial auditions, um, they say to you, what are your subject titles? What, have you, what are you known for? What do you do? What are your hobbies? Uh, and then all they say to you is, right, until it gets to your night... Don't speak about... We think you should not speak about these three subjects. What do you think about that? Uh, so they ask you, uh, uh, and then you say, well, actually, yeah, all right, I'm, I'm, I'm happy uh, not to uh, speak about those. And actually, it all makes sense, because I wasn't cooking until the Friday. Uh, and if I would have spoke about all of those subject titles, by the time you get to the Friday, yeah. you'd have nothing to talk about. So they want you to hold Back some stuff... Back, uh, so that's exactly what they do. But yeah, there are stops and starts because th- there might be if we sat around a table like this. Uh, there's only two cameras there in the room filming, so somebody might say something when actually they've got the cameras on that and then a focus on somebody else, and they'll say, "Oh, what was that mm-hmm. you just said? That was a really good thing. Do you mind just saying that again?" And then they'll reposition the oh, the camera, so they'll get you to ask it again. Yeah. So sometimes they capture the moment as it happens. Sometimes you've got to reproduce the moment um and also in the kitchen when you're cooking uh i knew i had to allow for everything uh to do with heat and timings and that because i knew there'd be parts where they'd want to do stuff so i was constantly thinking ahead about what i'm prepping what i'm doing how it's cooking uh how the heat's going to dissipate uh and what i need to do to make sure that when it goes out onto the tables because everybody else's was cold Uh uh that mine was going to still be hot yeah which obviously gives it its best quality and, that, and that's why you won exactly <laughs> yes I, I went there with a plan i had an idea of what i needed to do to get to the end vision and how it was going to deliver and thankfully yes it worked and of course you know probably what i had that helped as well is that i have done some television so i know how cameras were i knew how to work with the the cameramen so i knew how to walk in and out of shots and all of yeah. those sort of things so i didn't have to keep reshooting <laughs> 
Um, and also, I'm not, I'm not afraid to talk. And I'm, <laughs> and I'm not a bad cook. So yeah. all of those came together and really supported That's me for it. And did you get many people sort of message you about the billboard saying, oh, so yeah, um, it's a- 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 Alarmingly so, yes. Yeah. The amount of people were like, I've just drove past and you're up on a screen. Oh, my gosh. Are you doing Come Dine With you? Like, yeah. Are you doing Brilliant. Come Dine With Me? Love yeah, it was, it was brilliant. This is a bit of a random question for you then. Talking about Birmingham um, and Australia, Brummies needing to big up Birmingham more. If you were in charge of the a campaign to big up Birmingham, what would be the slogan that you'd put on a billboard for Birmingham to draw people in? Birmingham's brighter. Oh, I like that. Give that to the marketing team. <laughs> wow, that, I'll tell you what, nothing. Tell them, get it everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> nothing like a quick fire question, but what an answer, yeah. yeah. Birmingham's bright, I like it. It is. We're all shining stars, aren't we? I'll go back to that energy thing. And, you know, you've got to put light on something. I launched my my new company, Pose Events. Um, and the whole thing around Pose is to pose in the spotlight. In fact, my logo is three stage lights okay. coming down. But the three stage lights then look like a crown in the shape yeah. as well. But it's all about giving people the opportunity to be in the spotlight putting yourself in the spotlight a bit like LNX screens actually because you know you give people the opportunity to put their name or their brand or their company up in lights and and everybody gets to see it which is an amazing thing and that's what we need to do with Birmingham so yeah Yeah. Birmingham Birmingham what did I say Birmingham's brighter Birmingham's brighter (laughs) great campaign what was it (laughs) yeah what was that again um I think from having the conversation with you that it's clear that you have a real grasp on branding. Are there any brands around at the moment that you're a big fan of or is there any brands that stick out to you that you think, you know what, they're doing things the right way or not entirely? Because from having the conversation with you, it sounds like you've got a very good insight onto what works and what doesn't with branding. Are there any Birmingham brands or any even any brands out there that you are a big fan of that you think, yeah, they do it well. Well, you can't ask me that question without me giving the answer of Gymshark yeah. straight off. The we brand is phenomenal. Ben Francis and the team that have supported him with that have just created something incredible. And if you think Ben uh, and his friend created that from a, a young age, from a concept, from an idea, um, put in their passion and their belief into doing something, their time, their hours, their blood, sweat and tears. I'm sure there would, probably was some blood if they were sewing it themselves. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, exactly what they've done with that brand is incredible. And, you know, it's a unicorn company mm-hmm. now and how that's grown for Lumley. So I think, you know, when you look at a brand like that, how they focused it, had a vision of how they wanted to get that out to market, how they wanted to make contact with uh, sports personalities, with brands, you know, the, the places like David Lloyd, just going into places and saying, this is the people we need to target. So I think with any key brand, you've got to understand what your brand is, what's your product, how do people perceive that product? Mm-hmm. So we spoke earlier about the Nightingale creating uh, an icon that people can can buy into. What are they getting from that brand once they buy into it? What's the quality if it's a hospitality venue? You know, what's the ambience? Something we call litmus, the lighting, the temperature, yeah. the music, the energy Everything. of the venue, the, the, the entertainment that goes on. Um, and I think that 
is brand, but it's not just about the people outside understanding the brand. It's the people inside yeah. understanding the brand as well and knowing what they're getting from within their company, where the company is going. And I think that, you know, th those are very key things. So well, Jim Shark hit the nail on the head with all of that, don't they? They're just brilliant. Yeah, years ago. Many years ago, uh, I, I had a I had a vision, and I remember going to McDonald's. And do you remember they used to sell all that crappy cola and God mm. knows what McDonald's cola and this and that and root beer and blah. Uh, yeah, uh, which I tried one once. <laughs> yeah, you try it once, you never go back unless, <laughs> unless you're weird. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, and and um, I, I remember going in there with a couple of friends, and I said. Do you know what Coca uh, do you know what McDonald's need to do? I gave you the punchline. What McDonald's need to do? They need to they need to team up with somebody like Coca-Cola or Pepsi because you've suddenly got one brand collaborating with another brand and you've got twice as much area to promote that partnership. Mm -hmm. And of course, they could bring an increase in on their margin to pay for the Coca-Cola brand, but also it would give them a better relationship to their own brand. So all of a sudden they bring in a partner that's a much better quality product mm -hmm. and it gives them a double a double whammy. Yeah. Uh, and literally two years later, they'd done the partnership with Coca-Cola and they brought it all in. I said, I should have brokered that deal. That should, <laughs> that should have been me. <laughs> we had a guest on the other day, uh, Jess Munro. Yeah. And us talking about branding, she made me think of something in a way that I've never thought about it before, as in we are all our own brands as well. And it, and it kind of ties into what you were saying, as in when you meet people, they'll pick up on your energy and, you know, before you've even spoke a lot of the time. So when you think about that, would you have an agreement with that or that we are a brand in ourselves? Always have been, particularly in this day and age where people are doing social media, influencing, that sort of thing. Uh, about six, seven years ago, I wrote an article for Business Growth magazine, and it was called Image is Everything, and that includes you. Mm. And we are a walking, talking brand. And whether you're representing yourself or you're representing a company, the two come together because people buy into you. I, I said earlier, you know, your energy introduces you before you even open your mouth. And that's the same as you as a personal brand. You know, what you wear, how you look, how your teeth look, how your breath smells, whether your eyes are sparkly, whether you look like you've been out on the pop all night, <laughs> you know. Uh, and all of those things make a difference. And that's what people buy into. It's the energy. So personal brand is incredibly important. It's something that I have consciously and subconsciously always made sure is is very key for me because it takes you know reputation takes a long time to build, to build up and that that cliche phrase and it takes a moment to to trash yeah. and it's really true so i think everybody should think about who they are how they sell themselves what people buy into because also perspective Sometimes how we see ourselves is not, you will see me in a completely different way to how you see me. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's an important thing. And sometimes, you know, it's a good little exercise to say to maybe not close friends, but people you may meet and say, when you've seen me from a distance, would you mind telling me, can you give me a few key words that stand out mm -hmm. and try that exercise with a few people and see the different answers yeah. that you get back from about how they perceive you? But don't you think, someone like yourself, and I find it sometimes with me, and I'm sure Jess would be the same, um, Jess Monroe that came on, you do so much in so many different circles that you'll have so many people that will see you 
so differently do you do you find that like you know some people will know you from nightingale or a time in your life where you was younger running the club and then you've got other people that'll be like (laughs) (laughs) no not at all and then you've got other people that will see you presenting at the commonwealth or and just know you uh, from that and it's just two completely different sides to you maybe that you've got to understand that people see you as a completely different brand like a personal brand very true. Alex Claridge from the Wilderness, great, great restaurant in uh, St. Paul's. Uh, he said to me once, during lockdown, actually, when he asked me to support with uh, Hope for Hospitality, he said, Phil, he says, I read your LinkedIn profile. He went, I didn't even know you had anything to do with hospitality. He says, I've read what you've done. He says, why do you not sell to people more what you've done? I just knew Phil Oldershaw the presenter, he says, but you've done all of this, you know, you've developed PLCs, you've rolled out your own companies. He said, why have you not focused on this? And I said, oh, I says, well, that was a bit of the past. I says, I've been focusing on the presenting recently. And, and I suppose, you know, you can take yourself for granted. But if we relate back to the Nightingale days, you know, I was an operations director. I was a young operations director running a two and a half thousand capacity multi-award winning nightclub. I got something called Investors in People, which was unheard of in a nightclub. So customer service, brand quality, all of those things were really important to me. But even though I'd have two and a half thousand people a week, uh, two and a half thousand people a night coming through the doors, there'd be people that would still see you and that I would go on stage one of my favorite things was to bring on the acts do the warm-ups beforehand I invented I'm a celebrity before it was even thought about we used to have people on stage eating insects and all sorts of things that we used to do uh, back it back in the uh, late 90s early early noughties is it still six o'clock in the morning or four or two? Uh, that, that would normally be about 12 one o'clock yes it was you doing at four and was, six I was normally asleep in my office chair <laughs> My, all my managers, if any of them are listening, they'll be like, yeah, he definitely was. <laughs> was By six o'clock, they was waking me up to say, we, we, we've blocked up now. <laughs> are you going home? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I would have customers come, come up to me. It, the perception's an interesting thing again, because when I was at work, you got to imagine when customers were coming in, they'd be drinking and, and, and doing whatever they were doing and having fun. Uh, and I'd be working, same as everybody else. That's what you're there. You're there to do a job. But customers' perception of you should be, uh, have been, well, do you not just come here and have a good time? And they didn't understand. They'd be like, what do you do for your day job? And they didn't understand that so, to run this machine took daytime and, yeah. and evening. They just thought you went there of uh, a night. And then some people would meet you and they'd be like, oh, actually, you're really nice. And you'd be like, what What do you mean? And they went, oh, you you always look too aloof or you look as though you wouldn't be interested. I'm like... I work in hospitality. My job's about people. It's all about giving. Uh, but people build up their own yeah. conceptions about your misconceptions. So, uh, yeah, it, it, it changes. And then some people will remember me from the Nightingale, going back to them because I was the man on stage all the time. Uh, then, obviously, the Loft Lounge. Some remember me from the stuff I did on on TV with Channel 5 and, and Sky. Um but the, yeah, I, I still get people say, oh, you had the Loft Lounge. And, yeah. But yeah, many different things. But Or it could be hosting awards and dinners yeah. in the city. But, you know, I, I suppose I'm a bit like a chameleon. Yeah. Uh, and you've just got to change and adapt. <laughs> but mainly that's me. That's who I am. But you just change your style for what it is you're doing. Do you, I think there's, there's a thing in that with Birmingham people that we're very good at doing that. Like the Birmingham... <laughs> 
personality going back to what we are as a sort of tribe is that we're very i think we can be one very friendly and very like much like a chameleon and go into all these different or comedian things. yeah comedian. <laughs> then we can be our own worst enemy and be a bit grumpy and like oh yeah birmingham's this and birmingham's that but when we're pro birmingham and when we're as brummy is very like you know active as a personal brand i think birmingham's got a really really good spirit don't you i think there's a lot of people in birmingham that are in media and marketing and branding and they're doing really well but they've got a really good positive spirit and i think you've got that thank you well i i love people firstly and i i always say you never know what somebody's going through in their life and you know Mm. somebody might have a bad mood in an office or you might go to an event and somebody's not very polite to you and you think oh gosh get a um (laughs) but you never know what's going on in their life they could have a sick grand they could have health issues going on they could have lost a fortune they might have mortgage issues and then you get people that are really positive and and bright um which might be on the other side they might have really good health they might have good money they might have good business success they might have really good friends and family around them or they could be putting on a front and they may have a negative situation so i always think Give people love, warmth and energy and try and help them where you can because you never know what's going on. And I think Birmingham has a great spirit. And they always say the further north you go, the friendlier it yeah. gets, uh, which is pretty true because I'm some of the times I've been down to London, you walk into a department store, you open the door and 25 people come rushing through and none of them say thank you and they think you're a doorman. <laughs> you're like, I was only letting one through. Um, <laughs> Uh, but yeah I think I think we I think we've got this this great spirit in Birmingham Uh, and I think that's an important thing to have and to shine and if we were to believe everything we see in the media yeah you know you watch the news 95% of it is negative news stories wants to give us stress and anxiety and pressures um, and they're showing you what's going wrong and stabbings and this and that and the other but actually when you look in real life society most people that we meet on the street in business are nice people so actually we can spin that around because i would probably say 95 percent plus of the people that we meet are positive lovely people that just want to get by in life mm-hmm. and do what they can and it's only the small amount that yeah, that, that, that shade put the shade on on everybody else i saw um a youtuber and it, it taps in nicely to what you're saying there he was visiting he pretty much visited everywhere in europe and he said whenever he got to a destination it would always be the case that they'd say oh be careful when you get to the neighbor um, destination that this will happen and this will happen and there's the very focused on the negatives and he said whatever de- whatever destination he traveled to it was the complete opposite yeah he, he was never met with any hostility or any badness and he said often it's the way people portray things that we focus so much on the negative but with the news and you touched on that my I've got a very curious brain and it always says why and I know that's almost impossible to answer but why is the news 95% negative it, would you have any suggestion it, it to me it, I know that's a deep question but that's what my mind says when I see this I'm saying why does this news channel want that emotion why couldn't it be focusing on the 95% happy that we see I'm going to give you, there's many different answers. I could give you a political answer. I could give you a media answer. I'm going to give you my honest answer of why I believe 
news and media is all about control. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's about manipulation of the masses. And if you get people to live in fear, then they look up to hierarchy to show them the way, to show them the light, to protect us. Yeah. Uh, so a lot of what we see on the news and the media is fear. Uh, because I believe very much so, particularly with the BBC, the British Board Broadcasting <laughs> Corporation. Hello, I'm from the BBC. <laughs> Hello. Um, <laughs> you know, they've always classed the BBC as being an independent format. But the BBC is the only place where if you don't pay your TV licence, you can get taken to court. Yeah. Um, uh, and they, you can go to prison for it. The BBC for not paying a TV licence. Think about your electric and the other thousands of pounds worth of bills, but the BBC is that place. And I think the BBC has been a really great cover for our government going out across the world and doing what we do. In that case, the BBC also is a front mm-hmm. for our government. So if you portray negativity and we need protecting and we need to worry and we need to stress, we are not free thinkers. We are consumed by this media control on behalf of the government. Being consumed by that stops us from being free people. I always say the old cliche phrase, united we stand, divided divided we fall. fall. Mm -hmm. If we were all collective so you think of all the things that have happened in, in recent years. We've had the BLM movement. We've had Brexit. There's been a list of things mm-hmm. where they have segregated us and drawn us more and more apart. Actually, we're all one race. You know, whether we're looking at the UK, Europe, or the whole of the world, we are all one race. We are human beings yeah. on this planet. And there's going to be other races out on other planets out in the universe. Fact. Um, But the reality is, if you separate us all, we're in smaller numbers, so we're not going to create an uprising. If you put us all together and we really understand what's going on, we say, hang on, we're not tolerating this. We're not allowing these multi-billion pound oil companies or pharmaceutical companies, which are the biggest monopoly on the planet, to walk all over us. We're not allowing these governments who are answering to these big multi-million multi-billion pound bodies, trillions in some cases, um, because all of the politicians are generally backed by companies, and it all comes down to money. Mm-hmm. So we go back to the media thing. It's all based on money, and we're led by fear. They say people generally act out of two things. One is love. The other one is fear. If they keep us in the moments of fear, we're going to feel protective. I think, you know what, when you watch the news, and again... Certain people could watch this and say this falls under the line of a conspiracy, but I don't believe that. I think when you watch something and you say this outlet is only really giving me 90% of bad news and 10% is indifferent, that's something that almost can't be argued with. I very rarely put on the news and think, oh my God, I feel better about myself. But it, it just made me think of that youtuber that gave that story of whenever he was visiting the neighboring areas it was nothing like they said but my mind works in a wouldn't it be better though if it was 90 percent good news of all the good things that go on what what would be so bad about that I, I just can never get my head around that and i think we'd actually benefit from it in a sense i think people would walk around a bit happier and you know, have less weight on the shoulders because like what you're saying, and I believe it wholeheartedly, a lot of things that you see, when you 
go on to a ground level and you meet people, it's often that people are good, more than bad. Can I pick up on the one word you used in your sentence there, conspiracy? Conspiracy is a word that was created to tarnish the people that had an alternative thought. Yeah. It's, it's, the, it's the finger pointing, the negative tone they put onto somebody that thinks differently to the norm that everybody else is being trying, uh, the being, being pushed into following. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, you relate back to when we're at school. Part of school, you know, there's a big debate about what we're taught at school. Where's the practical skills? Where's the things that we should be taught that help us with life? But a key part of what we're taught at school is all about conformity. And how about following by the rules and doing this and doing that? And and that's what we do. And And it's controlling us from a very young age. And the people that use the word conspiracy are just saying, oh, they're conspiracy theories because the majority of people have now bought into that and they say, oh, yeah, yeah, they're they're, they're crazy. And there are some, all right, let's say, there are some that are a bit off the wall with their thoughts. But the majority of people are just free thinkers and they're saying, actually, no, I want to question because I don't believe that. Let's talk about the theory of relativity. How long is it going to be a theory for? (laughs) You know, there's there's no proof that we turned from ape into where we are right now it's mm-hmm. still a theory you would have thought with all the technology it'd be proven but what they have proven over that period of time is that we've had visitors from other other places within the universe that's yeah. a whole different story yeah but the fact is we are we are told what to believe in and you know what maybe um maybe the media does contribute to the mood across the world then because if if like what we're saying is true and 90% of that is negative. People will reflect that, won't they? Because that's what they're digesting. They're, they're viewing that, aren't they? So that becomes a reality. Um, yeah, and I guess on from that, uh, we have social media platforms. You know, you have your LinkedIn and your Instagrams and your TikToks. What are your thoughts on that? Is, is that an interesting thing to see evolve over the years? It- <laughs> interesting is one word you could use <laughs> I, I think it's been it's been ever changing hasn't it so obviously i come from the world of none of that before the internet was even think, before mobile phones yeah. yeah we used to use flyers it was printing it all worked yeah. we still got to where we needed to go you know i, yeah. I grew a multi-million pound business pirate uh, radio you ever uh, do uh, any and, advertising on that and birmingham, the, birmingham pride, pride. Or anything like that <laughs> no, pirate like radio do you ever do any advertising on that back in the day no 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 you should have <laughs> <laughs> with kenny everett out on the ship <laughs> <laughs> it's all done in the best possible taste. <laughs> um, is it? What do you think to it overall? Would you say? Do you use LinkedIn or do you use any of the platforms? I love LinkedIn. I think it's a great business tool. I love to interact with LinkedIn. Has been a little bit weird this week. I think people are starting to blur the lines because all of a sudden on LinkedIn this week, I've seen people posting about their kids going to school. I've noticed that. And I was like, oh, please, this is... I know you love your kids. I'm sure they're lovely and adorable, but please don't stick it on LinkedIn. It's a business tool. Somebody put... Yesterday, I read the post. 
post and I'm sorry I'm going off on one uh, she put I wouldn't normally post something like this on LinkedIn but this is the last year that I'll be sending my child to school and I just looked at it and I thought I don't care stick it on Facebook do you know you what know? I think that it is though I think people are using LinkedIn because to to put their personal brand out there and they're probably getting it a bit wrong because that's the kind of personal stuff that maybe it's on that wrong platform like put that on your Facebook put that on your Twitter maybe put it on your Instagram as well but for LinkedIn try and keep it within the realms of business you know yeah and and I say that you know I say it in the lightest way because everybody's entitled to do what they want to do we've got that freedom to be able this is our life the only person we've got to reflect on when we get to the end is ourselves we look back at our own life so we've got to do what we think is right for us however there there is an area where lines start to get blurred and people need to understand exactly what they're doing and what their brand is and where they're putting their brand and what type of energy so tiktok i'd love to get into tiktok so i'm told tiktok would work really well for me you'd be uh, brilliant on tiktok the lovely ollie hills uh at birmingham updates oh yeah uh, ollie. And, hey and, ollie and love ollie nonsensical um yeah, yeah uh, good old ollie he, he gave me some training on tiktok and i said yes oh. i'm gonna do that i'm gonna get stuck into it have i no because it's just finding that time and the it's a lot of work I mean, what am i doing i set up a ooh with jess tiktok and started doing some reels for like some of the campaigns that i did and um they work really well and then i'd just sort of send them to my clients and they'd use them and then they'd go well on tiktok and instagram as well so it's like oh this is really good but it is so time consuming and i think if you're young and you're fast with all that and you get it then you love it and you breathe it and it and it's that but what i find is i'm doing it on my lunch break aren't i (laughs) and then i'm like i've got to be fast i've got to do the tiktok it's got to be really quick and um it, it's just a bit nuts and you know it could go off and work really really well or you could do it and it might get like 200 likes or views and i was at i had my all my friends over for a night in and my bomb friends we, we were in our like track suits and we were so drunk on red wine like so drunk and one of the girls um took a video to the tiktok dance and she put the caption as like you know over 30 i don't know getting drunk and spilling wine all over yourself also i can't remember the caption but it got like two million likes like overnight i was like Uh. what the hell you've got a video of us looking like crap in our tracksuits with wine spilt all down us and that's gone viral i'm like oh my god but it's because i I don't know what hashtag she was using or whatever but it just went crazy and i'm thinking i don't get tiktok it's interesting what does go viral so of course (laughs) i wish i had a team like they do at itv so uh, uh, you know birmingham's own alison hammond uh with uh What's his name? Dermot O'Leary. Yeah. They're always doing TikToks of Anton Deck. But yeah. they have somebody doing it for them. There's no way they're doing it for themselves. And I just need somebody to do it for me. Because I reckon I could turn out some amazing ones. Yeah. Um, uh, where, where we have our apartment in Spain, there's we share a communal pool. And the family that has the apartment a little bit further down, uh, I met their daughter last year in the pool and we were talking. She was just telling me she'd had five, five million hits on a TikTok and I went, oh my gosh, how did you get that? Uh, she's got a black girlfriend. And basically they'd kissed and she'd got her makeup 
all over her face and the two of them uh done this tiktok yeah. where they'd been kissing and then you know they, yeah. they'd swap makeup with each other which was beautiful um but they've got five million hits putting this Crazy. video out there so it's it, it's really interesting you yeah. know what what yeah. people are excited by but when i think about when i watch tiktok i don't think i actually really know anybody i can't tell you anybody's name because i just scroll yeah. through yeah. but it's a bit like a it's, it's a bit like um time travel isn't it tiktok mm. because you go on there and then all of a sudden you're like where did that hour go yeah you know, you start Easy watching gone. something and it's gone and you're like, oh my God, I've just like, have I been captured by aliens? What happened? Because <laughs> an hour of my life disappeared or two hours. And <laughs> so out of all the social media apps, which one are you addicted to the most? Mm. Uh, I, I love LinkedIn. Yeah. I think Facebook has become a little bit nauseous. There's so many adverts. Every third thing yeah. is an advert on there now. It's lost its, its warmth and its familiarity of connection there. Um Instagram, I wish I could spend more time on. I think I've got about 8,000 followers or something on Instagram. That's but, a bad guy. But, but I, I, I never know what to do exciting on there. And I don't do enough posts. And I'm always being told I could do a lot more. Twitter, what on earth is that? That's, I think that <laughs> no, needs to be deleted. No, no, I love Twitter. Yeah, when I spoke to somebody I else last it. week and they were like, oh, no, for political and for this and that, for businesses, it's really great. So I'm like, all right, I'll keep me foot in Twitter <laughs> then. But... Yeah. They always say, find maybe find a couple that you're good with. Um, But yeah, I suppose my key to would be Facebook and LinkedIn LinkedIn. with a bit of Instagram thrown on the side. Okay, so how about then, out of of home is huge, right? So out of home, in case anyone that's still new to out of home that doesn't know what it covers, it covers loads. Billboards, bus shelter ads, it could do painted murals, we could do taxi wraps. Um, (laughs) All sorts, sports stadium advertising. What what kind of out of home do you love seeing in real life? Like, what's your, you know, would it be the adverts that you'll see on the buses when you see a bus wrap, taxi wraps, billboards? Is there any stuff that you like going, oh, that's cool? Good, good question, actually, uh, that I've never had to think about before <laughs> until now. And, and now everyone watching is going to be thinking about it, which is my favourite piece of out it, of home. It, if I'm honest, maybe because I'm a, a little bit old school, I, <laughs> you're right over there, Dylan. Yeah. Uh, I, I I love magazines. I still I yeah. still think there's a place for magazines. I actually think magazines may have a resurgence yeah. uh, for certain styles of magazine. Um, I love digital screens. I love digital screens because. Um, Firstly, they're they're in full Technicolor, aren't they? But you can have so much on a digital screen as well. Uh, So it changes, whereas it used to be fixed billboards. Now they can can change. Yeah, you get some with audio now as well, which is brilliant. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Do you um do you think you know when you said that um when you first came up with the idea of Birmingham Pride, and I think you said fifteen was it fifteen thousand people? Yes. Do you think that if digital would have been available to you at that time in different cities, do you think that number would have been doubled? Oh, my gosh, yes. Yeah. Yeah, if you look at where we are in the world of technology now, yeah, I think digital, to be able to get it out there instantly, you know, whether it's your hometown or a town next door or the other side of the country, I, I think how technology is now, it just opens the door to opportunity, doesn't it? So, uh I want to talk to you about all the charity work that you do because you've just told us before we started about a mural that is going to be going up. 
Oh, yes. Yes. So tell us more. Right. Okay. Uh, okay. Chari- charity. Which, where shall I start? Okay. The, the memorial. Uh, so uh, it's the Birmingham AIDS and HIV memorial. Yes. Something that's been long overdue in the city. Um, and the importance of that memorial is obviously remembering those that lost their lives. We call it the forgotten pandemic. If we think about COVID, COVID was simply a virus. It brought the planet to a standstill and they threw so much resource and money and time into it. The AIDS pandemic in the 80s was exactly the same. It was a virus that came around that nobody knew where it came from, wasn't expected, and it affected thousands of lives, killed lots of people, the knock-on effect of families and partners and all sorts of things. Uh, and then obviously coming on from that, uh, HIV, which has affected you know many people around the world, uh, which significantly has, has changed lives. Now, fortunately, medication the way that it is today, it's changed the way that people can live. It's no longer a threat to those that can afford the medication, the richer countries. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is still an issue around the world, and really we want to eradicate that. So the whole thing behind the memorial is to remember those that we lost and the effect that it had, to educate those still living um whether it's for people to have safe sex uh whether it's to educate them in the past and what happened um or whether it's to educate them around the stigma because there's still a huge stigma attached to hiv um and thirdly to celebrate to celebrate people that live healthier lives today to celebrate the the way that we've come forward in health and medications so the bar memorial came off the back of it's a sin i don't know if you've seen the program it's a sin i've seen the adverts for it and i haven't got around to watching it but i've heard it's brilliant award-winning it stars ollie alexander from years and years it's got a brilliant cast in there it was written by russell t davis who's done many things one of his key highlights many years ago was queer as folk but he's, he's worked on many projects um and it was all about how the aids pandemic came around uh in the 80s it's got a brilliant music score that goes with it if anybody hasn't seen it it's on channel four you can watch it on on demand it's free to watch it's incredible it will take you on a journey that i think there's five episodes of it it's heart-wrenching it makes you laugh it's it's all sorts it's also very raw as well uh, and coming off the back of that, um, we, we'd looked to do a memorial many years before. Um, and many of us who have worked within the gay community have experienced people, uh, depending on how long you've been involved, that may have died of AIDS. It may have been acquaintances we had, friends. We had people that worked in local businesses, worked within the theatre and so on. Um, or we may have had members of staff or friends that have been diagnosed Um so we, we'd looked at it in the past, and then uh, when I was going to say queer as folk, it's a sin uh, <laughs> came out. Uh, it, it reminded us of all of what it was like and the experiences that have happened. So Gary, our artist, said, um, "What about if we look to do a memorial?" again so he put the feelers out he came to uh, Andy King and I and said look would you be happy in supporting do you think it's a good idea can we get a memorial off the ground and I said well actually I think the time 
is right. So the three of us, Gary, Andy and I, set up uh, as founders and then we started to bring more people on board. We started to do the work with it. And since we started that last February, March time, uh, we've raised over £240,000. Wow. Uh, by September of last year, uh, based on the design that Gary had, had drawn, um, we'd been to see a, a guy called Luke Perry, who's a really well-known sculptor. He works on uh, many projects around the world, but particularly in the West Midlands. Uh, amazing guy. He said he'd love to come on board with a project like this. Um, we designed this six-metre-tall um, artwork that is basically, if you think of the World AIDS Day ribbon, um, but think of as you get to the top of the curve, the top of the curve turns into a heart shape and then it comes back down. So we've got two of these heart-shaped ribbons uh, with extra long legs that come off the bottom of them uh, that intertwine with each other, that show that companionship, show that connection. But also they're being done in court and steel. So court and steel is that steel that rusts a bit like the Iron Man mm -hmm. in yeah. the city. So over time that will weather and change colour and it will get redder mm -hmm. and redder. And then the other one is being painted bright red, like a deep, um, deep like a heart red. Right. Mm -hmm. Uh, and the two will sit there and these will also represent the past and the present stroke future mm -hmm. and that will be the, the difference with the colouring so by September of last year through lobbying and a lot of hard work we got planning permission granted for the memorial um, and then obviously the key thing was for us to really get behind and get more funds involved and thanks to the generous public and in particular, some really key companies that have mm -hmm. come out. Galliard absolutely gave us £40,000, the construction wow. company. Um, Airbnb have just given us £30,000 to get it over the line. Um, Anthony McCourt's company gave us £20,000. Birmingham Pride mm -hmm. and, and Lawrence uh, have given us £17,000 uh, that we've raised all of this money. As well as that project, we've then launched, and this is Gary's uh, work, Gary Jones, um, a, another project to sit alongside. So in the 80s, 90s, there was there's a famous, and still is, a famous quilt project uh, that was called the AIDS Quilt that mm. went travelling all around the world. And it was people that had lost loved ones and were connected to made these great big quilt panels that were sewn together. So we've done a Birmingham version of that, Brilliant. which will be part of the reveal project um, and that's currently being worked on where schools universities organizations and individuals have come together to make these panel of quilts so we'll be using these quilts to unveil the oh, memorial oh, the memorial itself that they will then be showcased in universities and key places in the city afterwards so that's a project unto itself and that's all about educating and and you know uh, raising awareness moving forward but the memorial itself is six meters tall it's colossal uh standing proud no longer in the shadows and it's going into hippodrome square oh, uh, perfect, which which, it, which is being developed in the city uh actually it should have been complete by now but they had some issues with contractors so it won't no. be finished until next year but our memorial is going in uh on the first of december so that will be the unveiling this that. year uh, and we've put in for a member of 
um, Buckingham Palace to hopefully come and reveal that for us. But we, we I can't say any more until yeah. we, yeah. we find out whether that's going to happen. But it's going to get the eyes of the world on Birmingham Again. once more because not only does it remember and educate uh, 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 and respect those gone, but it's also a great piece of artwork in the city as well. I'm going to say something here that may be completely random, but I think one day there'll be a statue of you in Birmingham City Centre. <laughs> when you, you look at know. when you look at the things and the breakthroughs that you've done, it's it is kind of amazing when you look at that on paper. I'm I'm going to make the early prediction here. Who knows? Maybe one day I'll say. Oh, you you almost make me feel emotional. <laughs> oh, God. This is <laughs> well, when. The thing is with me that I find interests me the most is resilience and everything that you were speaking about earlier is in having doors closed in your face, but you continued anyway. But when you think about what Pride has done for Birmingham, I think that could be tied into quite a lot of things, you know. Mm. And as a springboard, really, to show, yeah, we can get this many people in yeah. and it can be a success and there's no trouble yeah. and it's quite a harmonious thing. I think it's ahead of its time. I, I really do. But enough of me... Uh, no, you no, know. you're right. Management, vision. You know, we yeah. had a vision of what we wanted to achieve at the time. <clears throat> then once we knew it was successful, where it was going to go, how it was going to work. Uh, and, and yeah, you're right, you know. Now, uh, just because I know I'm taking that on a different tangent, you work or have worked with a lot of charities. Um, is there any pro are there any charities that you're involved with currently that you'd like to quickly touch on and... <gasps> Uh, yeah, I, I work with a lot of charities, actually. So I'm an ambassador for Lubrum Charity, a very popular charity that supports charities mm -hmm. in the city. I'm an ambassador for Acorns. I do a lot more work with Acorns, actually, and a lot of fundraising. In fact, um, later on in September, towards the end of September, I can't remember the exact date, um, we're doing Come Dine With Us. Oh, <laughs> so, brilliant. Yeah, so it's, a, it's a 30 guests only. Um, maybe we could put a link via the podcast or something. We've yeah. got 30 guests only, uh, and it's taking place with Chef David Kelcom and Olivier at the offices of Liquid PR. Very personal, very selected. Uh, it'll be a very special event, raising money for Acorns. So I do a lot of work for Acorns Children's Hospice. We said the parachute jump and, mm -hmm. and other things. I've walked over hot coals and broken glass and diff different things to raise funds. Um, who else? I'm looking Look down at my badges. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, NSPCC. So I sit on the the um, business board for the NSPCC. Mm -hmm. uh, uh, and they're a great charity. Yeah. Uh, funny enough, when it, it, it's weird. Uh, the lovely Amanda Sinner there, working with NSPCC and being involved is something I've always actually wanted to do, but never done anything about it. Besides the fact that when I was at the Nightingale, uh, I've, had a, I've had a direct debit with NSPCC since 1994. Um, Jeez, but at the at the club, we used to two and a half thousand people a night. You'd have people that would leave coats and different items, uh, and they would never come back from. You never knew who they were, so you'd keep them for a month. If nobody came back from, we'd get rid of them. So I always used to we used to bag up bags and bags of them each month, uh, and they would go to support the NSPCC and we'd raise funds that. for them. 
Uh, yeah, we supported, you know, when I was at the Nightingale, I really led on us giving lots of money to charity because we were cash rich. We was in a position to be able to to do that. And, and I knew the difference it made for And it so does. Many. You don't realise how much it does. I mean, just going back to, we were talking about LNX earlier. I know LNX are big supporters of the NSPCC as well. They yes. do, They give a lot of billboard space to those guys and that it works wonders for them um, on the billboards. They're we absolutely love the charity it's fantastic yeah, you know i think we go back to that paying it forward you know yeah. sometimes giving is the best form of receiving yeah. because to give and to see the difference it makes you know it, it is immense it makes you feel good and that's how you receive mm. from it you feel good it gives you it releases those endorphins that make you feel good about yourself so mm. being able to give and i say to any company or any individual out there that has the opportunity to do something for another whether it's an individual or whether it's a charity do, do it, it because it really is significant and it makes you feel good should we put everyone that wins on come down with me on billboards <laughs> <laughs> i think i think over the years you know in the earlier years i used to support things like terence higgins trust yeah. uh jane monroe aromatherapy we we done lots of support for her and i used to love supporting her because she used to do aromatherapy and practices for people that had hiv or mm. aids back in the uh, uh back in the days um we'd done lots of stuff for gay switchboard people coming out into the community so i've worked with lgbtq uh, charities and organizations uh as well as you know mainstream like acorns and, mm -hmm. and and nspcc i'm hosting an event for marie curie uh oh, later on this month oh and i'm hosting the nspcc event later on this month yeah as well. for, both when i come back off holiday yeah <laughs> so for anyone that's not from birmingham um that doesn't know about love brum tell us a bit more about love brum because i'm gonna get it in there shout out to pj and tim yeah pj and tim done a great thing uh the same again successful business people i yeah. love the two of them uh and they thought actually why don't we do something that supports others yeah. how can we use our our connections our influence and our opportunity to support charities now we can go off and support different charities or shall we create a charity that's a body that has this collection that they they can promote and have the main control of promoting but then use the money that they raise to support other charities or so other charities, smaller charities that might not be heard of, smaller than, you know, NSPCC and Acorns and things, can then make application to apply for grants to have their own charity supported. Uh, and the work that they do there is, is fantastic. It's brilliant. I mean, it was probably about 10 years ago now, right, maybe longer. I, my, one of the first interviews I did, this is in the MAG, um, was with them too and it was the, one of the funniest interviews like they're such characters anyway aren't they and they're just lovely and what they've how it's grown and how it's got big bigger in the kind of community in Birmingham is just lovely to watch yeah but still do it that is lying down now that's alright that's the oh, best place for him quiet for a bit. <laughs> Phil it's been an absolute pleasure I think we'd like to ask you one more thing before we finish the interview uh oh <laughs> no, this, this isn't a tough question. Any young aspiring person that may watch this podcast, we hope so, your work ethic speaks for itself, I believe. When you look at the list of things that you've done, there's a work ethic there. Is there anything that you could say that would give somebody that little 
lift up if they're not feeling like doing it? Like, what what is it that keeps that fire burning? I think knowing that we're here for a purpose. This life, we are unique. There's over 7 billion people on this planet. We are unique. We are individual. And we're here for a reason and purpose. So firstly, nobody should ever think that they haven't got a worth or a purpose. Don't believe all you see on social media because all these people that are posting positive things, it may be a moment or a fraction of their life and they will all have stuff going on in their own life, personal stuff going on, you know, some good, some bad. Uh, and, and, and I think not just for young people, I think for anybody that questions where they are yeah. in life. I've made a lot of money and I've lost a lot of money. I've probably, I was going to say, I've probably lost more than I've made, uh, if, if, that, if, if that is possible. But I've, I've been, what many people wouldn't know is that I've been close and had those thoughts where I've thought, this is it. I just need to. I just need to check out because I've lost huge six-figure amounts in in investment projects that have then crashed and burnt, and I've lost everything involved. And and the only thing that you can do is pick yourself up and carry on. Can you hear Dylan there? Dylan, what's the matter? Wait, please. Uh, the only thing that you can do is pick yourself up and carry on because the world doesn't stop turning. You know. It doesn't stay dark. It gets light. After each night time, it gets light the following day. So we've got to get up and carry on going because we're here for a reason. And until that time that we're no longer alive in this body, then we need to understand that anything is possible. The old phrase, tomorrow is a new day. It is. There's always somebody. If we make the effort, we can reach out and make contact with somebody and never think that anything in your life isn't possible because all we've got to do if we can believe it if we can vision it we can do it and that's all we've got to do go out there and do it phil and on that note it's been a pleasure thank you for coming on what what a way to end it thank you so much for coming on thank you so much for having me